welcome to the Preaching Matters Podcast. My name is Alan Carr, and I am your host. Thank you for listening to our episode today. On this podcast, we talk about preaching because we believe preaching matters, and we certainly want our preaching to be better. We want it to glorify God, and we want it to be biblical. And so that's what this podcast is about. We talk about all matters related to preaching because we believe preaching matters. So thank you for tuning in today. We're going to get right into the episode, but before we do, let me ask you to go to your favorite podcast directory and leave us a good review. We would appreciate that. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. Now, let's talk about preaching because preaching matters. Welcome back to the Preaching Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Carr, and I thank you for being with me today. One reason I'm doing this podcast is because preaching matters. And preaching matters because preaching is the vehicle God has chosen to share the gospel with the world. And I believe preachers can become better at what they've been called to do. And one of the ways we do this is by learning proper methods of interpretation and homiletics so that we can come together, bring those two things together, and produce sermons which reveal the mind of God as it's revealed in the scripture text. Our job is to take the word of God and to interpret it properly and to then present it to the people in a form which they can understand and grasp what God is saying in his word. And one of our duties is to uncover the timeless, eternal truths, the rich spiritual principles contained in the passages of Scripture before us, and we are to bring them out before the congregation so they can comprehend the mind of God. Episode, we're going to talk about the matter of interpretation. Now, if you haven't been with us up to this point, if this is your first episode, I would recommend you go back and listen to previous episodes so that you can have all these things in mind that we've been talking about up until now. So you have chosen your text, that's step one, isolation. You have spent time meditating upon that text, that is step two, meditation. And then you have uh, practiced step number three, which is concentration. And in that step, you have prepared a mechanical outline which shows you the natural breaks in the text so that you do not have to impose an outline upon the text, but so that the text, in effect, will give you the outline. But in this step, step four, we're going to talk about the matter of interpretation. And here's where we're going to cross the line into a little bit of hermeneutics. And hermeneutics, I would remind you, is the science of biblical interpretation. And so we're going to talk about some hermeneutical issues. And this this particular subject will take several episodes to cover. But when you get to the process of interpretation, this is where you're going to discover the wonderful truths the passage holds for you and for the people to whom you preach. In interpretation, you will encounter the mind of God as the mind of God has been revealed in the text of the Bible. And hopefully you will employ the tools of accurate biblical interpretation and you will arrive at the precise meaning of the text which is before you. And this is an essential step in the expository process and it should not be shortchanged or overlooked by the expositor. At this point, You need to be sure you leave no stone unturned in your search for biblical understanding. You must use every tool at your disposal for arriving at a proper interpretation of the text you are dealing with. 
let's look at several facets of interpretation that are that are essential for arriving at the true meaning of the text. Now, one of the first steps in interpretation has already been considered, and it is the idea of diagramming a passage into a mechanical outline. And this shows us how the verses relate to one another and can be very useful in arriving at a good outline of the passage. And if we take our main points where the writer has already divided the text, then we're merely allowing the biblical author to speak in our day. So be, be sure you get that step. Learn how to do a mechanical outline. And again, I would remind you, uh, Howard Hendricks' book, Living by the Book, is a great resource for this. And if you'll go to our Facebook page, by this time I should have an example of a mechanical outline up there. And hopefully by this time I will have prepared a video which will also be available on Facebook and at Carr at youtube.com in which you can watch the process in action. That's my plan. Don't hold me to that, but I'm going to do my best to do it, okay? So get this mechanical outline. Find those natural breaks in the text. Know where point one is, where point two is, where point three is. And if you're into this, you can also subdivide that into subpoints if you so desire. But after you have got your mechanical outline, the next step you want to take is very, very valuable. And it is a step of performing good word studies. Now, listen, every Bible you and I use, no matter what version you use, every Bible we use is a translation. When the Bible was inspired and given to men, it was given in Greek, Hebrew, and some Aramaic. And it is important that we understand what's being said in the text. And the only way to do that is to kind of lift the lid on the text and go back to the original languages and try to understand the actual meaning of the words. And when those actual meanings are discovered and you discover how those words were used in the time period in which they were written, the passage begins to take on new life and new meaning. And our goal in this is not to change the word of God. Our goal in this is not to look at the Bible critically and say, well, it's wrong here. It should say this. This is not right. This is wrong. What we're trying to do is amplify the word of God. We're trying to shine a light on what the words say. So we're not coming at this to find fault with the Bible, but we do word studies to learn more about what those words mean and how they were used in that environment. Now, it goes without saying that words are important. Listen, if I were a carpenter, I would use saws and hammers and levels and squares and all kinds of tools to accomplish my task. If I were a surgeon, I would use scalpels and things of that nature. If I were a mechanic, I would use wrenches. Well, I'm a preacher, and as a preacher, I use words. Words are extremely important. I build sermons with words, and so do you. And one way we can help build our sermon is learning to use word studies, learning to do good word studies, which amplify the meanings of the word in the Bible. Now, you know, God, when he inspired the Bible, he did so using words. And these words have meanings which must be understood by the biblical interpreter. Now, let's understand this. Languages change over time. The meanings of words change over time. I'll give you one example that just pops into my mind. Uh, I could look up the text for you, but um, it's in Acts 27, where Paul is talking about sailing on a ship. And in that um, particular passage, Paul says they fetched a compass around a certain island. They fetched a compass. Now, when I was growing up in Alabama, 
I know what fetch means because they was all they were always telling me to fetch this or fetch that, and apparently I must have been like a dog because they would fetch me to do this and fetch me to do that, and so I know what fetching means, but I also know what a compass is, don't you? I know what a compass is. A compass is something which tells you direction. It tells you whether you're going north, south, east, or west, or any point in between. But when that word was used in the King James Version in 1611, which, by the way, is the version I use by choice, by preference, I love the King James and the way it reads. But let's be honest about it. There are some issues with translation. There are some issues with word changes. The verse in question is Acts 2813. It says, and from thence, I said 27, I'm sorry, it's 28, 2813. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew and we came the next day to Puteoli. I think that's how you pronounce that. But whenever the Bible says they fetched a compass, that does not mean they went and found a device to help them understand which way they were going. The word actually means to go about to wander about, to rove, and it's the idea of coming all around something. So when Paul says we fetched a compass, that means they sailed in a circle around a certain place. So that is an important word to know, don't you think? It helps us understand what is being said. Now, Paul didn't go get a a directional device, but they sailed in a circle, and that's what Paul meant by that. So that is just one example of a word which has changed over time. This is found in Isaiah 318. There are several word changes here, words that we don't use any longer. In that day, the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their cows and their round tires like the moon, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and the nose jewels, the changeable suits of linen and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins the glasses and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. And instead of a girdle, a rent. And instead of well-set hair, there baldness. And instead of a stomacher, a girdling of sackcloth and burning instead of beauty. So I'm going to stop reading there because I think you get the idea. Now, I have no idea off the top of my head what a mantle, a wimple, or a crisping pin is, nor do I understand what, Uh, Something is like a round tire, like the moon or a cowl. I have an idea what a cowl is, but some of these things have changed so much over the years that you and I have no idea what it is. For instance, you take a mantle, that's a cloak, we get that. But what about a wimple? What in the world is a wimple? Well, a wimple is a shawl, a crisping pin is something which was used to curl and fasten the hair. The only way you know what that is is if you take the time to look it up and you take a time to go in there and find out what that actual word meant in the original language. Now you say, well, I use an English dictionary for those things. Well, that'll help you, especially if you get a good one. You get an 1828 Webster's Dictionary or even the Oxford English Dictionary, which costs hundreds of dollars. But if you have one of those, it will tell you the word etymology, which is how the word originated and how the word was used in the original usage of the word. But a far easier way to do that in our day is to get you some good Bible software, something like Accordance, if you use a Mac or even Windows now, but Accordance, uh, Logos, or 
Blue Letter Bible even. That's a free option, which will let you look up words on the Internet free of charge, and you can find out what those original meanings were. And you say, well, those, those, doesn't matter. those don't matter any longer. We just have English, and the English is good enough. And I agree, the English is fine. However, the Bible was not written in English, and word meanings have changed. And you and I, if we're going to do proper exegesis, we must go back to the original languages and learn what those words meant. And you may protest. You don't know Greek or Hebrew. Well, I don't know any Hebrew, to be honest with you. And I know just enough Greek to, be, to get myself in trouble. But I can use the tools which have been given to me to help me understand what the text is saying in various places. And I suggest you learn to do the same. Because what you're going to find, when you do good word studies and you come to the original meanings of those words and you begin to understand what the Bible is actually saying, it will open the scriptures up to you in a brand new way. Plus, those word studies will provide much meat. In fact, in my case, most of the meat for your sermon itself. They will help flesh out the outline and help you to understand what's being said so that you can communicate it to the people who hear you preach. Now, let me say this to you. Be careful about how you use word studies. Be careful how you interpret those words because they are to be interpreted within their context. And most word study books like lexicons and things of that nature will tell you how a certain word is used in a certain passage. And it's helpful to, to take that into consideration and not just pull out every uh, possible definition of a word and string them together all you're going to do is misinterpret the text and bamboozle the people what you need to do is find how it was used in that context and give them the definition and i'll tell you something the people do not care about the greek word they do not need you to parade your knowledge of greek they don't need you to get up there and quote the greek language for them it's enough to say this word in our english bible comes from a word which means and then tell them what the word means and I believe word studies are so very, very valuable that you cannot overstate the importance of doing the word study. One place I want to show you in the Bible where word studies are important, and you go to Isaiah 53, and you come down to verse number four, where the Bible says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. It says there, he hath borne our griefs. The word born comes from a word means to lift up and take away. And isn't that what Jesus did? When John the Baptist was talking about Jesus in John 1.29, he said to him, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So Jesus came to bear our griefs, and he came to carry our sorrows. And the word carry means to bear a load or to retain. But Jesus took our sins away from us. And he lifted our burden, and he carried it away so that you and I do not have to bear it anymore. Praise his name for that, that Jesus took away our griefs. But the next verse says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The word wounded there, it has the idea of being pierced, being pierced through and through. And the primary usage is to be pierced, especially to death. And Jesus was wounded, was he not? He was pierced through and through in the hands and feet and in the side. 
Then it says he was bruised. That word bruised has the idea of crushing. It means to crush under the foot as the dust of the earth. So Jesus was crushed for us. He was not crushed of his own device. He was not crushed by the Romans. He was not crushed by the Jews. But Isaiah 53.10 tells us who crushed him. The Bible says in Isaiah 53.10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Same word, it pleased the Lord to crush Jesus under his foot as one would crush the dust of the earth. Isn't that what God did? When Jesus became sin for us on the cross, the entirety of the wrath of God for the sins of his people was poured into Jesus, and God crushed him under his foot, and he did it because it pleased him. And the word please means to experience delight. God experienced great delight by crushing his son. That seems almost unimaginable to us, but the end was in view. God did this to save a people and to give them to his son as a gift to him. And all those the father has given to the son, according to John six thirty seven, will come to him. Word studies are important. They're like turning a light on in a dark room and they help you understand better what the Bible is saying in the various places throughout the scripture. So take the time to do Bible studies, get you some tools. If you have to spend a little money, if you've got to spend a little time on the internet, learn how to do good word studies. You'll never regret it, nor will the people who hear you preach regret it because you are helping them understand better what the Bible says. Now, I would also add that as you study the words of the Bible, be sure to study the verbs. The verbs are very important. You get to the issues of voice, tense, and mood in the Greek verbs, and they really open up the words to you and help you understand what's being said, whether it is a command, whether it's, an, it's a, something which happen, is happening now, which maybe it's something which is ongoing, or maybe it's something which happened in the past, or maybe it's something which is completed in the past and continues on forever. So those verb tenses, verb voices, verb mood, they're all very important, and pay attention to that. And that those things will help you understand the Bible better and will bring the scriptures to life. And maybe at some point I can do a little video which will help you understand that better. I know I'm just kind of skimming the surface here today, but do learn how to do word studies. And if you don't know how at all, I know you can go to YouTube. You can find videos there all the time about how to do Bible word studies and pay attention to what they tell you and learn how to do it because it will provide a helpful resource to you going forward. Galatians 2.20 is a verse with which we're all familiar. And Paul writes there, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Paul says, I'm crucified, That word, of course, means to be crucified together in that context. But when Paul says, I am, the the tense of that is a perfect tense. That means it is something which happened in the past, and the condition continues forever. So when Paul says, I am crucified, that's what he means. I am completely and forever crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. That is a present tense, active voice, indicative mood verb. I go on living actively. 
I'm crucified. I stand crucified. Nevertheless, I continue to live every moment of every day as a crucified man. But it's not me who's doing that. It is Christ who lives in me. Again, present tense, active voice, indicative mood. Paul is saying all the time, Jesus is living in me, living through me. And I am presenting Christ to the world. So I love that analogy there. It's kind of like the clothes which I wear today. When I pull my clothes out of my closet this morning and put them on my body, before I put them on, they were inanimate objects. They could not move. They could not function. They were empty shells. But when I put them on my body, now when my body moves, my shirt moves, my pants move, my shoes move, my socks move, and so on. And they go where I go and do what I want them to do because they are submitted to my power. So that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, like, every day I get up and I dress up in Christ. Christ lives me. He wears me through this world. I move where he says. I go where he leads. I do what he tells me. Paul says, I am in complete union with Christ. You see, Jesus represented us in death and resurrection. But it's far more than that because it is a living union. Jesus is ever present with the believer, and by the Spirit, the Lord lives in inward fellowship with those he has redeemed. So it's not that our personality has been wiped away. Our individuality has been absorbed or suppressed into Christ. We are who we are. But we also live our lives in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God. So the union is a spiritual relationship of the utmost intimacy in which Jesus uses us as his vehicles in this world. He moves through us. He speaks through us. He works through us. And that's the implication of that. So that's a great passage. But I hope you understand how important these words are. And I wish we had more time on that. And I may work on that. We may do some more of this next week. But for today, I want to keep it kind of short and just encourage you to learn how to do biblical word studies. It will add so much to your preaching. It will add flavor to it. It will add depth to it. It will add meat to it. It will add meaning to it. And it will engage the congregation if you present them in the right way. Words are a valuable, valuable tool in my preaching arsenal. And I believe they will be yours too. So learn how to do word studies. And also, as you read the text, pay attention to the grammar. I know grammar's boring, but listen, any preacher out there who's been preaching any time at all who is an expositor will tell you grammar's important. Not just Greek grammar, but English grammar. Look how the words are put together. Pay attention to the construction of the sentences, and those things will yield you much, much preaching material. So, I know this has kind of been disjointed. I feel like it has today, but this is what you got. Sorry. I'll try to do better next time. We're going to stop there. We'll come back and talk more about word studies, I believe, and I'll try to have some stuff ready and walk you through several word studies in the Bible and how I reached the conclusions I reached, and hopefully it will help you. I'll also try to have you a list of some good resources which can help you do better Bible studies as Bible word studies as well. So anyway, thank you for being with me today. I appreciate you taking the time to stop by, and I'd love to hear from you. I need to hear from you. Uh, this podcast is is something I'm doing as an act of faith, as an act of obedience. I felt led by the Lord to do this, and so I'm putting it out there with 
really no metric of how well it's doing. I can see the downloads. By this point, we're up to about 22, 2300 downloads, which is good. Uh, but I'm not, and I got good reviews on Apple, which is great. I appreciate that. All of you who've left a positive review, uh, but I would like to hear from you personally. You can reach me at the preaching matters podcast at gmail.com or at Alan Carr at gmail.com. I'll get it either way. And, uh, I'd love to hear from you. I'd also like to encourage you to go to your favorite podcast directory and leave a good review. Let us know what you think. And be sure to tell others where to find us and what we're doing. And I'm going to try my best to be a little bit um, more thorough and in-depth in next week's broadcast as we continue talking about this matter of concentration. So thank you so much for spending time with me. Uh, If there's ways I can improve, let me know. If I'm unclear about some things, let me know. If I can improve this podcast by changing something, the format or whatever, let me know because I'm open. See, I'm new to this. I've never, I've never done a podcast in my life till February, and so now I'm a podcaster. Amazing. So I'm three months into this, and I'm still learning, and I'm still growing, and I'm still trying. And so I want you to help me. Reach out to me and let me know. And if you have questions, if you have questions or ideas for future shows, If you have something you'd like to hear addressed, let me know. I can always pop in and do a bonus episode and make that available. I would love to hear those things, and I do appreciate you reaching out to me. God bless you, and thank you for playing along today. And Lord willing, we will come back next time, and we'll do it again. So until then, God bless you, and keep preaching Jesus. And just, hey, keep preaching, because preaching matters. Thank you once again for joining us today on the Preaching Matters Podcast. We'll try to have a new episode out next week. So I encourage you, if you enjoyed the episode or you think someone else would enjoy it, first, I want you to subscribe. And I'd like for you to leave a positive review on the platform of your choice or on several if you choose. And I'd like for you to tell somebody else about it. This is a podcast for preachers. If you are a preacher or know some preacher who might benefit, share the news. God bless you. Thanks for being here pray that preaching goes well for you. God blesses you in your work for his glory. Pray for us and Lord willing, we'll see you next week.